Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Okay, well, the Agents of Innovation podcast is not only in Guatemala City today, we are at Piedras Surf Repair Shop with my friend Pierre. Pierre, uh, thanks for welcoming you to the surf shop. Well, first of all, thank you for this interview. It means a lot. Uh, and uh, well, yeah, welcome. This is it. This is uh, making it happen and the start of uh, what will be, well, hopefully the rest of my life. Yeah, very nice. Okay, so we're going to get into all of that. Um, as we get started, I want everybody to know that this is the uh, Surf Art Mag. Is this an, a ma magazine here in Guatemala? Yes, it's actu uh, actually um, the edit. Well, the producer of the magazine is uh, is a lady called Luz Castillo Sarco, and she has been having this magazine. Actually, she founded it ten years ago. Where, yes, where the ten year she anniversary. Exactly. And um, the reason I have it is because you are featured in it. Yeah. And so is your surf repair shop here in Guatemala City. Uh, but you know what, uh, Pierre, before we get moving here, uh, I think it's time to crack open some beers. <laughs> and so we, ha we have here, what do we have here? The uh, ooh. Antigua Cerveza. Cheers. Cheers. Salute. Uh, Sin Novia, this is an IPA. I, I, love, uh, I love Antigua Cerveza. What's funny is uh, I also had a conversation uh, for the Agents of Innovation podcast with um, Alex Buitron at uh, Caranto Cigar Company and or Cigar um, Club and he also served me some Antigua Cerveza so either people know what I like or people around here know what to drink that's that's yeah, that's important course, yeah so Pierre hold on let me let me take a sip after talking so much about drinking it um, so you were recently in Surf Art Mag's 10-year anniversary issue and again this is a magazine that's really focused on the evolution of surfing here in um, Guatemala exactly but you're not originally from Guatemala kind of close in some ways uh, but you were born in France and yeah. my understanding is that your dad is French I've met your parents by the way exactly. uh, your dad is French your mom is from El Salvador and he was doing some diplomatic work there and they met Exactly. Yeah, the, uh, he was doing uh, some diplomatic work with uh, the education program, a foreign education uh, department, and also he was uh, working along um, Medicos del Mundo, which is basically, well, how to translate it, um, worldwide uh, medics. Yeah. And uh, yeah, eventually he met my mother. Uh, actually, she went to France and they, they corresponded with letters because she went uh, to study to France. She didn't speak French. She uh, studied at the German school, so that's how they... Uh, they so did they actually together. meet in France or in El Salvador? They met in El Salvador, but they got to know each other by letters when she was in France and he was in El Salvador. In the days before email, um, yeah, <laughs> or smartphones, or text messages, or Instagram posts, or whatever else. Um, okay, and also, how many siblings do you have? Um, I have uh, three siblings, one sister, and two brothers. Uh, I'm the youngest one. You're the youngest, and exactly. I met briefly for about five minutes. I met your your uh, older brother Paul, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, he is a graduate of the school I teach at, Universidad Francisco Marroquin, but he studied medicine which i know nothing about um 
And I was actually told, I randomly met somebody and, and I told them about your family and they said, oh, Paul is like the greatest student I ever had. Yeah, he, <laughs> he scored the highest, um, the, the highest grade of all of his career in all of the university's history. He is a genius. So Pierre, so you were born in France, um, but I know that you have lived in a few different places before you made it to Guatemala. Tell me uh, where you went from France and at what ages. Uh, okay, so uh, I was born in France. I lived my early childhood there. And you, are you fluent in French? Absolutely, wow. yes. I actually, I think more often in French. I only read in French, or I'd, I'd rather only read in French uh, than in any other language. And, uh, well, I speak to my uh, family in French. Obviously, I don't have the perfect French accent. So when I'm there, they tell me, wait, you're not, your French is, is excellent, but you're not French. <laughs> when I'm here, they tell me, hey, your Spanish is excellent, but you're not from here. <laughs> so, yeah. Hard, I, hard to fit in when you're a, a man of the in. world. Yeah. Well, where did you go from France and at what age? Uh, okay, so I left France. Uh, I must have been like five. Uh, then we came here to Guatemala directly. Uh, we were supposed to go back to Uruguay. That's where my fathers uh, were based before, um, well, before leaving to France. But, uh, well, my father had two options or two missions was either uh, Guatemala or it was either somewhere in, uh, in Ukraine, I think. So, well, you know, as a good Salvadorian, my mother does not like cold. So yeah, she, Amen, she I chose agree. Guatemala and uh, they came here. I uh, did my studies in Guatemala. I finished high school and then I went to Honduras uh, to study uh, agriculture engineering in uh, Zamorano. Escuela Agrícola Panamericana El Zamorano. So I spent four years in Honduras. I got to know the country very well. And uh, well, apart from knowing the country, I got to know Paraguayans, Bolivians, Colombians, uh, uh, people from Panama, Honduras, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Mexico. Because like it's a, a Pan American university, it's actually well the best uh, agricultural university in Latin America because most most of the teaching is practice. Mm. Uh, so you work half of the day, you apply what you learned uh, in class during the other half of the day. Yeah, that's I think how education should be. Yeah. Now uh, I learned a little bit about this school talking to you before. Was this school founded? Uh, or in some way connected with Wilson Popano? Exactly. So uh, actually, the founder was uh, Samuel Zemery. It's the man who bought uh, the United Fruit Company and dismantled it. And in ways to pay back for all of the damages that uh, the company did to Latin Americans, he, uh, along with Cornell University and the help of his very good friend, Wilson Popeno, which was an eminence in the subjects of avocado and mango, along other agricultural themes, he opened this free university uh, where each student had to have an interview with him. And if he accepted- With Wilson Popeno? With Wilson wow. Popeno. If he accepted them, they would study there for free. Wow. And it lasted, uh, the career lasted three years. Do you know uh, about what decades this was? Uh, well, yes. Uh, the, the university was founded in 1945. And uh, I remember that Wilson Popeno worked until the late 70s. 
70s or 60s. Uh, he was involved from that very beginning? Yes, he was the director and uh, he got very famous uh, here in Guatemala as well. He actually is buried in Antigua and it's thanks to him that Antigua kept its colonial look because uh, there are other places in Guatemala that looked like Antigua, but then came, uh, well, industrialization and... Uh, modernization. Modernization, yeah. so they destroyed everything colonial and started building with bricks, and, uh, and it, it, it's not too pretty, you know? So the thing yeah. is that, uh, thanks to him, it was mandatory to uh, respect the colonial architecture in Antigua and keep the, like... Um, the Seron of the place. Yeah, well, I've, I've been to Casa Popano, and actually it's now owned by Universidad Francisco Marroquin because the family donated it to them, I think, about 15 years ago. But for those, of the, for those people who aren't familiar with Guatemala, mm -hmm. Antigua, first of all, the name Antigua means like ancient or old anyway. Exactly. Uh, and so this was the kind of the original colonial capital for the Spanish in Guatemala. Yes. Uh, that goes back to the 1500s. And there's a huge, huge volcano literally right there on the doorstep of Antigua called Agua. Yeah. And my understanding is there were several times during the Spanish occupation that Agua decided to erupt. And uh, there were earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, floods. Uh, they actually had it. Antigua, the original old city, right? It was actually closer to the volcano. Yeah. Then they moved it to where it is today. Then I think after like two eruptions, uh, which the final one was in 1773, the Spanish just said, that's it, we're moving further. And they moved like 50 miles away to where Guatemala City is today. Exactly. But they not only moved, they literally made everybody move. They, they, it was a forced evacuation. And so therefore all these, old, I mean, there's so many churches, like cathedrals, like just in ruins still to this day. Some have been restored, but a lot are just in ruins. A lot of homes, private homes, all sorts of things, and it's a, but that's kind of what makes it the charm of Antigua today. But uh, my understanding, again, just kind of uh, learning a little bit about Antigua, kind of what you just said, there were people that came, uh, some Americans like Wilson Popono, some from other places, uh, that came and started restoring homes, kind of in the early 1900s. Exactly, and that's when people kind of started returning to Antigua. Uh, and Antigua has such a mixed culture today of people from all sorts of places, including a lot of the locals that returned there people from my ethnicity to people from the United States and France and Belgium and who, you know, the list goes on. Uh, I've met so many international people, Canadians, um, that live there and work there and actually have opened businesses there. Uh, but Wilson Popono restored this home, which today is noted as Casa Popono. And he was also a big agricultural guy from uh, California. And again, my understanding without knowing all the history, uh, is that he, uh, was on the search for like the best avocados, right? Exactly. And he found them, in Guatemala. Exactly. <laughs> this is the place where he developed uh, the best avocado strains that are now uh, being well exported all around the world. Yeah, and um, and so the what's interesting is then you were telling me about the university you went to. Tell me the name of it again. Escuela Agricola Panamericana El Zamorano. Okay, I'm going to spell that out somewhere in the show <laughs> notes because that was a long... It's I got Escuela and then I got lost. Uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, but it's, it's a f school uh, focused on agriculture. Exactly. And so you went to school for agriculture. Yeah. Um, and you are, um, are you, maybe you're doing the agriculture of the seas, uh, but right now you're not doing agriculture other than uh, these surfboards, I think. But the, uh, tell me a little bit from your path from college, what did you do next? 
Okay, so I graduated from college and, uh, well, obviously I visited my family. I hadn't seen them in four years because the university, being an internship, it's uh, not internship, but it's a boarding school. Oh, wow. Um, I had very little to no vacations at all. Uh, because it was very, it's a very strict school where uh, if uh, you haven't met, well, it happens. One, it happened once with my thesis. I I got kind of late and I lost all of my vacations. So I had basically no time to leave, and uh, I did that. I visited my family in Europe, uh, in North America, and uh, then came back. And as I came back, well. I started looking for jobs. Uh, the first job that I, I took uh, is with my father uh, in his uh, school. And I worked as an administrator uh, of all of the logistics in the school, you know, like uh, buying materials, uh, organizing the cleaning staff, organizing uh, anything that needs to be fixed, changed. So I started with that. And obviously I moved out of my parents' uh, house because I remember very clearly my professor, there was this great professor that told us, if you graduate from school and you go back to the same place you were before uh, coming to school, you're doing something wrong. Mm. And that res resounded on my head and uh, well, I moved out and... Um, well, it's funny, one thing I have found uh, I think that's a definitely a very prevalent idea in the United States, and I think people kind of, um, I don't know, maybe look down, I don't know if that's the right way to say, look down on people that go back and live with their parents after college. Um, and yet, I feel like in the Latin culture, that's actually not that uncommon, right? A, a lot of times, multiple generations are living together, especially until you're married. Exactly, right? exactly. So it's very common here. I actually don't judge anyone. Uh, because everyone has their own timeline, everyone is on their own mm -hmm. track, and everyone is on their own time. So you cannot judge anyone for their different opportunities or their different ways of seeing life. I mean, everything is based on respect, everything uh, chooses whatever they want to choose, but I find it important, well, at least in my case, I speak for myself, leaving my house and traveling and putting myself out of that comfort zone made me grow as a human being and uh, made me more aware of what everything is worth. Uh, for example, we had no hot water in the university. It was only cold showers. And man, I can tell you just the hot showers were like, we had these tiny bunk beds. So everything when I graduated, I was very uh, appreciative of everything I had. I was very aware of what I had, uh, uh, of what I have, and I was thankful. Um, so that's a very important part. Uh, yet I spent six months here in Guatemala helping my father uh, because, well, obviously he has helped me all along my life and has given me support and still does. And um, well, you know, I. I started applying for internships and got an internship in Martinelli uh, Winery oh, and, wow. and Vineyards in, uh, in California. Uh, so more specifically in Sonoma County. So I moved out uh, in June. Uh, I've got a family that lives in San Francisco and I spent a couple of months with them before starting the job. I started my internship and it was a great experience. 
I learned a lot from the vines. I was a, a vineyard sampler and uh, also I was a cellar hand. So I looked over all of the process from uh, growing the vines to harvesting the grapes, uh, making the analysis on the grapes, uh, sugar levels, acidity levels, uh, flavors, uh, yeah. soil testing, all of that. And I also saw all of the processing part. And something very important for me because I'm a doer. You know, I, there's, there's people that, that learn better, uh, I don't know, reading or uh, yeah, I have to do things with my hands yeah. in order to, to feel accomplishment and in order to really learn. Whatever you do with your hands, you never forget it. Yeah, that's good to know. So what happened? So you're in California. Uh, you're working on the vineyard. Uh, what, what, where'd you go from there? So uh, when I finished my internship, uh, I was offered other internships. But, uh, well, I had to come back uh, because it was my brother's wedding. My... Uh, bigger brother's wedding and uh, well I, I thought okay I can buy a plane ticket and go back boring or I can buy a car and drive all the way from San Francisco to Guatemala and oh, that's wow. what I did uh, so I studied the route and got to uh, visit uh, the Sequoia Park uh, yeah. Yosemite uh, I got to visit tons of places. I got to visit LA, I got to visit uh, San Clemente. And when I got down through Baja, because it was right on the time where all of the mi migrants from Honduras, Panama, El Salvador, all of these places were in the border of, uh, of Tijuana. Yeah. So the thing is that I couldn't cross over there. So I went uh, to Tecate and I did this road trip with a, uh, my cousin and a friend that I made uh, in the winery. And we went down uh, all the way through Baja. And it was an amazing experience. I, I really was amazed by the, the, the scenery, the desert. It's, it's breathtaking. And little did I know, I tried surfing. And yeah, little did I know that it was going to be one of the most fundamental pillars in my life. I, uh, well, I've never actually lived in El Salvador, but uh, since we moved to Guatemala, and my mother is Salvadorian, we always went to the beach. And I can say that since I'm a kid, I love the ocean. I feel comfortable, free. I feel in peace. Uh, the ocean for me is a place with a lot of, a lot of energy yeah. uh, that uh, it's just like us. Sometimes it's calm, sometimes it's uh, very <laughs> angry or uh, uh, there, there is a lot of energy going on and you know it's a place to be alone but connected with nature yeah. uh, and it's, it's a very healing experience and I've always uh, like needed, uh, had this need for the ocean and yeah. after going through Baja little did I know that surfing was going to be one of my... So was this the first time you, uh, you experimented with surfing? Actually, I had experimented before with body surfing and uh, using boogie boards. I tried surfing. Uh, well, actually... So are you saying there's hope for me? Because that's all I've tried to yeah, do. Yeah, of <laughs> course, man. I mean, surf is... I'm from Florida, and I, uh, you know, we don't have the, the greatest waves. That's more California and other places. But there are pockets where we have waves. Only an hour from where I have currently lived in Orlando, um, 
is Cocoa Beach, which has some of the best surfers in the world come out of there mm-hmm. um, because they have just the right types of waves that people uh, really can train on very, very nicely. Um, and you really have to fight for them, I think. Uh, but like Kelly Slater, like, like is from Cocoa Beach. Um, but anyway, uh, but man, I, I'll tell you what, uh, I just as a little aside, three or four years ago, my friend Adam Gallette, I'm going to give him a little shout out. Uh, I was visiting him and his wife in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, which is near Jacksonville. It's like Jacksonville Beach area. Yeah. And, you know, we were just we just went up to this little beach club that he's like a member of. And we went up there for breakfast or something. And then the plan was to just go hang out at the beach later in the day. And we're sitting there and Adam, his eyes just light up. See, he surfs and he goes, oh, Francisco, this is like I didn't know there were going to be waves today. These are like the perfect kind of waves to learn surfing on. I don't know if he was pulling my chain, but I think he was telling the truth. Um, he goes, I'm going to go back to the house and get a surfboard. And we could rent one for you if you want to try. I said, sure, let's do it, man. I'm here. Let's go. I've always wanted to learn how to surf. And it's funny, the year before, believe it or not, I was in... Oh, actually, so this is only like three years ago. The year before, I was in Israel. And, we, and me and my friend Kyle, who ironically is the one who came here to Guatemala mm-hmm. uh, six, seven months later, and who I visited here, we were walking down the beach and we see like, actually, they're doing surf lessons in Israel, like right off of the beach in Tel Aviv. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're all and I, in Israel. And it was like... I was watching this, and it was like you could go up and just like pay these surf, uh, what do you, uh, I don't know, teachers. I don't know what you call them. Instructors, yeah. yeah. To uh, to um, to, and I said to Kyle, I said, now I'm from Florida, and I've never surfed in my life, but wouldn't it be cool to learn surfing in Israel? Uh, and we actually thought it was a great idea. He's from Colorado, the mountains. He doesn't know anything about the oceans, but um, but he's. We said, yeah, let's 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 try that tomorrow. I think it was like tomorrow we were going to do it. Um, but we went out on a, the, the group trip we were on. They took us on a, on a boat ride in the yeah. morning. And Kyle and like one or two other people got, got seasick on the boat. So he's like, I don't think I'm going to be doing any surfing. Uh, so, we didn't, so I didn't want to go out there on my own and try this. So I was like, oh, okay, we'll just, I'll just hang out. Much breakfast, but, but anyway, like, I don't know. The next year I was with my friend Adam in Florida and we were, we're out there. And let me tell you, I must have been out there with him for like three hours. I never like stood up on the surfboard. Um, I just never got to that point, but he kind of taught me baby steps of how to use it as a boogie board, how to, you know, try to get up on it, all these things. And I'll tell you what, the thing that I really appreciated after that was how much hard work it was to surf, how you like yeah. swim all the way out there, which by the way is a workout in and of itself yeah. with your board, which is big. Like you see these things they are not easy when you're like trying to go over waves that are constantly... Like yeah, that, right? when you're starting, with, especially with if you start with a big board, it's... it's yeah, and so it place. was... And he, ga- and he gave me, like, a smaller version, whatever the easier version was. Um, I, I don't know, maybe it was bigger or smaller. I don't remember what it was. But um, <clears throat> anyway, but I was exhausted by the end of the day. In fact, about, about two hours in, I went to the beach, and I just said, I need a break. And, like, you know, I just sat there for 30 minutes and whatever, had some water, and then went back out there for another hour. And I was like, I don't know how people do this. They call this fun. But anyway... Uh, it's a, it's a workout. I mean, it's yeah, it's a it's a serious workout. You and fight for hours for seconds of glory. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a that's, that's really that's, that's what it is. That's what they say, right? Well, so so you really started learning to surf in Baja, uh, which is uh, Mexico. Like exactly, it's called, it's called Baja California, right? Exactly, yeah. But it's like that peninsula off of Mexico on the Pacific coast. Amazing place. Uh, it's basically. A huge desert there's no one there i well to cross it uh i made a well we did around 10 days and i was driving six to eight hours per day so it was a long trip and you know what um it happened that 
as I was driving, five hours while I was driving, five hours passed and there was no one. No one. It's amazing. I mean, you're all alone. It's deserted. Wow. It's uncharted territory. And they say that some of the best waves of the world are over there. And, you know, I've been to El Salvador multiple times uh, to the beach, but this beach where we go went to uh, was, a, it's an early beach break, just like in Guatemala. But they say if you can uh, surf a beach break, you can surf anything in the world. And that's true. So the thing is that, well, I didn't have the board. I, I, I didn't know anyone who surfed apart from an uncle. And I, I it, the culture wasn't so uh, developed in, uh, in, in that beach. So when I got to Baja, saw these, uh, a lot of surfboards and I told myself like, this is a nice wave. It was a small, uh, cool wave, perfect to learn. And I started and I, I got it really fast. Um, and I, I, it's like, I just discovered. So how, how long ago was this? This was, uh, in the end of 2018 um, and since well I bought my first board uh, I started surfing here in Guatemala broke my board uh, and eventually I learned to fix my own surfboards uh, and well that's that's what I've I've been doing here yeah uh, so um, okay so you learned to surf how let's pause right there how um you know, you so you on that road trip back. Yeah. You uh you went you went ahead and, and settled back here in Guatemala. You didn't go back to California. Yeah. So the thing is that I had this um this opportunity for another internship, uh, but I also got a job opportunity here in Guatemala uh, with a very big uh, building uh, company. I don't know if that's how you call it, but like a construction company. Exactly, construction company. Uh, it's a, it was a firm of architects, and uh, I got this job that was basically to uh, plant trees, well, grow grow plants and trees in order to do the landscaping for uh, this huge project that they're doing here in Guatemala. It's called Michatoya Pacifico. Uh, it's basically uh, an industrial park. It's a uh, territory uh, where it's kind of government uh, backed because it's an area where you pay no taxes and there is a lot of industry, like mostly there's textile industry, uh, Dollar City is there, for example, as well. Where in Guatemala is this? Uh, so they already have one industrial park in Palin Escuintla, uh, and they're building the other one near the road to, uh, to the port, uh, Puerto Quetzal. Oh, like and to the port in the Gulf of Mexico? No, 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 or to the, the port. Uh, Pacific? Yeah, in the Pacific, okay. exactly. So the thing is that they, uh, they want to develop the, that area. Uh, they are reinstating the, the, all of the train lines. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to reconnect Mexico to their park by train. And uh, in a couple of years, they will have to rebuild the airport there. So it's this huge strategy from this group of architects that really thought it through and it's a it's, it's uh, the, the investments of their lives. I mean, so they're pulling it off. And my part in this was the landscaping. So I managed to uh, grow uh, 330,000 trees 
uh, and you yourself? Uh, no, no, with my team. <laughs> yeah, I, I worked with a team of 26 employees in two locations, and I was basically uh, growing um, like local trees, um, like uh, species from the country and from the area that are well adapted to the climates, and it was perfect. The trees grew very fast. I managed to grow, uh, yes, 330,000 uh, 330, trees. 330,000 trees, yeah. that's a lot of trees. And uh, plants in total, uh, I amounted up to almost the million plants. Wow. So yeah, little plants, but mostly it was trees. So the thing is that I really love that because I mean, how can you say no to reforestation, man? I mean, right. it's, it's, it's the thing to do, so. Either I was going to do another internship of the same in California, or I was going to reforest and do something good for the planet. Yeah. And I worked there for a, a year and four months until COVID came in. Uh, and uh, well, this everyone. This is a theme in like every interview now, until COVID. Yeah, so, but I mean, in Spanish there is a saying, no hay mal que por bien no venga. If it wasn't for COVID, I wouldn't be here. I That's wouldn't true. be doing what I'm doing. If it wasn't for COVID, I wouldn't have learned things about myself, things about the world. Hey, the about same thing for me. If it wasn't for COVID, I wouldn't have been coming to Guatemala. I wouldn't have even had the idea to come to Guatemala. I wouldn't have had a moment to think about coming to Guatemala. Yeah, so, so. I, I always see the glass half full and yeah. not half empty. And I always focus on the good things and uh, whatever good the bad things come with. And uh, that's that's one of the things so that COVID. Uh, yeah, so COVID happens. Um, so I guess does this mean that the job you were doing kind of uh, went away? Well, yes, yes and no. Um, I I actually got suspended for a couple of months. Then they got permission to continue. Wait, hold on. Suspended. That sounds negative. Do you mean like you were like furloughed? Is what we would call in the United States because of yes. COVID? Yes. 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 Probably. Yeah. I, I mean, I was sent home, and basically, basically nobody could move until uh, new notice because the country was closed, and yeah. there was curfew, and there is this, and there was that, and you can you could not leave the department. So they got, they quickly got all of the necessary permits, but uh, I got a different offer from my boss and I had to decline. Uh. So the thing is, uh, well, I basically finished uh, doing what I had to do. I set up a very uh, well-structured production line. Uh, all of the employees knew what they had to do, how to do it. Uh, everything was well-documented, I basically, left a guide or guideline to grow trees and plants the right way and the thing is uh, well I was I was already looking something else to do because yeah. I told myself well this this already is a machine that's working and uh, of course it needs some input in the part of leadership like taking the the the, the project on but basically, the project uh, baselines uh, were were already uh, met and done. So yeah. uh, I I had to say no. So was this was this now? Are you now into? Is this 2020? That that was in 2020 exactly. Yeah. So COVID happens, and then um, at what point did you get the idea to start a surfboard repair shop? Something I never even knew existed until I met you. Okay. So <laughs> so the thing is. Uh, I started surfing and it was it was everything went around surfing. I mean, uh, it wasn't uh, like partying anymore or whatever, whatever it was before. Everything had to do with surf. 
I am and I was uh, really, I dove into the surf world, into the surf culture. Every weekend I went surfing and the thing is, um, well, you break your boards. Boards yeah. are especially, well, secondhand ones and especially cookie cutter boards, like big brands of boards. They're excellent boards, of course, and they make a lot of boards, but they're not as tough as it would have to be or as uh, our friend Robert that we just met told us, uh, things are not as good as they were before. And it's very sad. I mean, it's a part of capitalism that I, I, I really don't like. Everything is, uh, you can change. Kinda everything like is mass produced, yeah. Exactly, everything is meant to be changed for the newer version. But that if you see cars built in the 70s, they're still rolling, man. But you see cars built in the early 2000s, most of them don't work anymore. So yeah. there is this huge amount of garbage that accumulates and there's this uh, philosophy that a lot of people are picking that, oh, it's broken, no problem, I can just buy a new one. No, so I'm against that. And in a world like this, repairing is an act of a rebel. Of, uh, you could almost recall, rename this place the Sustainable Surf Shop or something, right? Well, it's, <laughs> I wouldn't call it sustainable, actually, because I use a lot of toxic uh, uh -oh. materials. But, yeah, I mean, I, I repair. I give a second use. I repurpose, uh, reuse materials. Recycle. Recycle, upcycle, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, all of that uh, by the repairs. So you, did you start this in 2020? Yes. So actually I started uh, around one year ago. Uh, I started fixing my own boards and then my friends saw my, my work and they told me, man, this is really nice. Uh, fix mine, please. And then one guy tells to another and the other to the other. And I started getting these phone calls of people that I never met before that told me like, hey, you, you fix surfboards, right? And I was like, yeah. Okay, please fix mine. So uh, I said, well, yeah, why not? I'll, I'll open up a surf shop. And I started uh, very small uh, with small clientele. Uh, actually, my first, uh, my first official client is Luz Castillo, uh, who I am very uh, recognized uh, to because, uh, well, she featured me in her magazine, you know, and she, she brought me boards. She talked to her friends. Wait, was she the one that wrote that article? I'm very thankful, oh. exactly. I'm very oh, thankful nice. with her and what she does to the surf culture in, uh, yeah. in Guatemala. Shout out to her because, uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing what she does. And so, so people outside Guatemala, they may not know the geography of Guatemala, but we're in Guatemala City. And, um, Pierre, I don't see any beaches. Uh, <laughs> where, how far away? Uh, where, where are the beaches? And where are these surfers coming from with these surfboards? So the beach is two hours away from here. And uh, yeah, I mean. That's the beach in Guatemala? Yeah. There, and what there, beach is that, Parador? Uh, so the most famous one is El Paredon. Then there is Iztapa, which uh, has a, a very, because of a construction they did to break uh, the waves. Um, it's a very cool spot as well. I don't know as many spots in Guatemala, but there must be definitely some awesome spots to surf. And the most popular one is El, is El Paredon. All of them are around from two to three hours away. So uh, two to three hours, and yet people are dropping off their board. Who are the people dropping off their boards to you here in Zone 14? Uh, we're in Zone 14? Zone 14, exactly. Uh, Guatemala City. 
So mostly our, our clients uh, that are regular surfers um, that, well, unfortunately break their boards. You know, that, that was my first hashtag, you know, shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, uh, yeah, most of them live in the city and go surfing uh, to El Paredon, Marina del Sur, Iztapa, whatever. So uh, the thing is a brand new surfboard costs from six, uh, 650 bucks to up to 1350 wow. bucks something like that that's the price range So you know people uh people that do serious bike riding I mean that's uh that's something similar right I yeah. mean uh, some have even much more expensive bikes than that yeah. but yeah, but you know I mean the I think I have a bicycle that's about 600 it was about $600 uh, and so when that thing breaks down, yeah, I take it to like the bicycle shop, right? And I, get, I mean, you're you're not like, just gonna toss it and right. get a brand new one. Right? I mean, even if you have have the money, it must hurt a little bit, yeah. you know, because yeah. it's and boards are beautiful. It's it's this uh, tool that helps you glide uh, on the surface of the water. I mean, you you get I I I'm not a very material person, but with boards. It's like you get this sentimental attachment, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, so. It becomes part of you on the water. Exactly. Plus you've learned how to master, maybe you've mastered, not me, but maybe you've mastered the art of surfing with that board. You know, I play tennis. It's like a tennis racket. You, yeah. It fits well. Exactly. With, with your game and, and maybe, maybe, maybe the boards are similar in some exactly. ways. Exactly. So, man, I've tried tons of boards and I can tell you that I haven't found the board that fits like a glove <laughs> and i've i've tried a couple of ones uh, recently like hand shapes and it was amazing the difference uh these boards were so fun they were so easy to use were because the point of it all is fun yeah i mean i'm not i'm not uh have the objective of becoming a pro surfer and competing my point is having fun yeah and sharing the fun and sharing the soak of surf so um, tell me, because I don't know, we got boards here. Uh, what kind of damages are done to boards that are able to be repaired? And, and maybe ones that aren't, uh, but what, yeah. what are the type of typical things you see that okay. happens? Okay, so uh, the most common thing... And, and if thing you could explain it to people like me who don't know yeah. what the, the hell you're the, talking The most about. common thing <laughs> is, uh, well, you know... You're attached to the board with a leash. Uh, basically, uh, the leash is your lifeline to the board because the board floats. And when you're riding big waves or the ocean has a lot of energy and you get hit by a wave and then comes the other and the other, you go down, man. And as you go up, you can only take a quick breath before you go down, uh, down again. So uh, the most common uh, repair that I have done is that th uh, the leash is attached to the leash plug that's on the bottom of the board. And the thing is that when the leash is, the leash um, connection is too long, the leash damages the board, the tail of the board. Mm, so that's okay. the most common. Then I've repaired uh, a lot of, uh, well, the boards have fins. You can see one here. Yes. So the fins are what allows you to get direction in the water, right? It's kind of like uh, in a sailboat. They have these, uh, yeah. uh, these thing in the middle. So it's basically the like same. Like a rudder or something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the thing is that, uh, well, if you hit a rock with a fin, it will go up and you have to replace all of the fin box. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's another very common uh, issue that I get. Then surfboards don't like the sun. 
because <laughs> I mean it, it's epoxy or uh, it's uh, well it's basically resin yeah. and resin uh, when it heats up uh, you know to the molecular level it expands uh, it unattaches so you get these bubbles and uh, also, there's the pressure dings. Well, you know, you go very fast on the water. So if there's a branch or uh, anything that's on the surface of the water and the surfboard hits it, then it's going to get a pressure ding. Or if you hit it with your head <laughs> or with your elbow yeah. or with your knee, it gets pressure dings. Then um, uh, a lot of uh, like dings when you manage the board you handle it uh, you put it on cement or you know there's people who take care of their boards like babies and there's people who just don't give uh, yeah. uh, they they don't care a lot about the the board so uh, yeah then you get dings dents uh, that are these little cracks and holes so basically a board is made of foam it has a base of foam it's, co it's covered in layers of um, of fiberglass cloth and then it has layers of epoxy or polyester resin uh, on top so it's sealed it's basically uh, how they build boats before or they still build uh, traditional boats here with uh, resin and fiberglass so the thing is that if the board has a hole water starts coming into it f uh, because of pressure and uh, if a board gets water, it starts getting all, uh, a board must be rigid, it must be very strong. It starts getting all uh, like mushy, you know, and it breaks way, way faster. And then the absolute worst that can happen to your board is snap it. You know, uh, I mean, uh, I don't know, a four feet wave may not be that tall, but there's a lot of water in there. There is yeah. a lot of water in, uh, in one cubic meter of, of water is, is equal to uh, 1,000 kilograms. So yeah. imagine having 1,000 kilograms smash something, yeah. like immediately, it snaps. Yeah. Imagine you're riding uh, eight to nine feet waves. That, those are huge waves. Uh, yeah. So boards tend to break. Some break uh, more easily than others. And yeah, that's basically So the it. typical person, I know you talked about a lot of different kinds of uh, common things you seem see how when somebody brings their surfboard in here for some of those things what's the kind of turnaround time you typically have for each kind of client okay so uh i usually like i don't do this full time as i'm going on a course in the university i'm uh, helping here and there doing uh this and that uh i usually um do a repair in a week i okay. try to do it within a week that's my goal uh, sometimes I rush it more, sometimes I, I uh, well, I, I just don't have enough time. And I, the, the longest one I've, I've had was like a month and a half, maybe two months. And well, I basically told the guy like, look man, just give me like 100 Gonzales and we're, because that's one thing. One of the main reasons I started fixing the boards, because you can fix your boards, uh, you can get your boards fixed in El Paredón. But the thing is that the people that fix boards there, they are very good. Uh, they are very good people. Uh, but the thing is that, you know, there's women, there's party, there's the waves, so they don't have a lot of commitment. And th once I left the board for three months, it wasn't, it, it didn't wow. get repaired. Three months. Yeah, the, uh, and it. It choked up sun all day. Mm. Yeah, so the thing is, it was not the best experience. 
And uh, I told myself, well, well, how hard can this be? And it's pretty hard. <laughs> so, but I, I started getting, uh, getting like the tips, you know. And so, so speaking of that, um, so I got a couple questions, a couple last questions. Yeah. Uh, so now that you've done this uh, entrepreneurial uh, business, uh, what what kind of advice? What things have you learned as an entrepreneur, where you to start your own business and continue operating it? Um, and what and what other so what things have you learned and then maybe what, what advice that you might pass on to other entrepreneurs especially in Guatemala okay so what advice would I uh, would I state sell to entrepreneurs uh, first of all is you have to start small because what starts big becomes a monster and then dies what starts small grows bigger and stronger and uh, you have to start small man I mean most of the biggest companies out there started small look at Amazon for example Apple uh, so the thing is uh, yeah you have to start small you have to focus on the little things you have to focus on detail you have to be very very precise and of course there's passion if there's not passion in there it's not gonna happen man and what what other advice uh, Definitely, uh, I, remember, I remember this very well. Uh, a friend of mine told me once um, that if you work for money, it's going to be very hard. But if you work to do your job right, money is going to come to you. So uh, I started doing very meticulous jobs and still do it. And that's my, that's my goal, like putting every every bit of a passion I have into every work I do even if it's the smallest or the biggest work because in the end that work is uh, well it's it's the testimony of your efforts the testimony of your talent yeah and everyone will see it that's your signature so if you do it well, and that's what happened to me, I started doing things well, and I got better and better and better, and people saw it. I didn't have to make any public uh, publicity, you know. Uh, yeah, the publicity came to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the thing is, if you do things well, people notice it, and they come to you because I, I had a I had a student who's not one of my students, but a student that I, I've gotten to know at UFM, uh, who actually just this week said to me, he's. He, the, the kind of uh, job he's doing now that he, he hopes to continue and expand upon it um, when he's uh, done graduating. Uh, and he said, uh, how do I, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with how do I publicize what I do? And I said, you know what? Actually, I, we talked in the hall <laughs> this week and I said, you know what? I think your work will speak for itself. And as a young person, I don't think you should be totally, I, I mean, there, it's, it's a struggle because you, you want to get, you want to get the word out that you're doing this work and you need some business and you know and you want to you're trying to make a buck mm -hmm. and you're trying to get some new clients yeah um, but also i said you know it sounds like you have some good clients already uh if you're doing that work well um my my uh my guess is that they will they will spread the the word of mouth to other potential clients exactly man word, word of mouth that's uh that's the best way to do it and uh, then another advice is that the client is always right mm-hmm uh, it's not easy to deal with uh, people in general. I mean, we all are we are all complicated and uh, very meticulous and very uh, uh, exigentes. I don't know how to 
Uh, yeah, we all have our, our little things that we yeah, yeah, but care uh, about in yeah, particular. And, and I mean, yeah, we're meticulous, but especially if you pay for something, you want it to be done yeah, well. Right. You know, I mean, we, we, all, we all are demanding on what we give and what we receive. So mm -hmm. the thing is that I have, I have had a couple of clients, and I thank them, that have given me uh, critics, like constructive critics. I take them as that, and I'm very grateful to them. Because, I mean, I'm no expert. I'm, every day I'm learning, and I will learn until the day I die. I'll never yeah. stop learning. Right. I, I, I will never know everything. I mean, never. So that's, that's uh, you have to be humble in the ways of, yes, you have a talent. Yes, you're good doing something, but you're not perfect, and you will never be. You will always learn something. And, yeah, I mean, peop some people require more patience than others. And uh, the thing is, uh, all of these critics have made me become better and better and better and have made me improve myself and push that barrier of what I think is a good job higher and higher and higher. So, yeah, I mean, I, I look at my first repair and I'm like, oh, <laughs> what is this? Yeah. And then uh, I, I look at my last repair, for example, this, and you, you can't even notice it. Yeah. No, and it's very rigid. It's solid. And every day that passes by, I'm getting better and better and better. Yeah, that's great. Well, and I'm sure the, bring, the current clients see it, the, the future clients see it. You had somebody that uh, right before our interview here yeah. walked in here. Uh, and, um, you know, he, he then started mentioning that he had heard about you from other people. And, uh, and so that's why he was here. Um, but uh, you're right here in Zone 14 in mm -hmm. Guatemala City. So uh, how do people find you? So, uh, yeah, I, I, my first post was in Facebook in a closed group of entrepreneurs. Uh -huh. And I posted my, my, well, uh, my business and uh, it all started like that. I posted my number. So if someone's listening right now and they're a surfer, they're coming to Guatemala or they're already in Guatemala and they're like, dang, I need my surfboard repaired. Yeah. Uh, where, where, how do they, where, do you got Instagram? Do yeah, you got, I, I've it? got Instagram. I'm on Google as well. Uh, I've got the address of the shop. My Piedra numbers. Surf Shop. Piedra Surf Repair. Yeah, Piedra Surf it's not Repair. A shop. It's not Sorry. a shop uh, yet. Yeah, I, I, I call surf it repair. shop because uh, in French, shop is atelier. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's actually workshop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, also, I overheard uh, you say today, that in addition to, you've just been focused on repairing boards. Exactly. Are you going to be building boards next? That's my objective. And uh, this is another uh, recommendation for entrepreneurs is always have different objectives. I mean, complete one and don't stay there. Put yourself more objectives, uh, do new things, think outside the box. Uh, the, I mean, I, I, I was thinking on doing balance boards as well. That's that has something to do with surf, but I mean, it's working wood, for example, yeah. it has nothing to do with fiberglass, uh, but it has to do with geometry, architecture, everything. So the thing is, yeah, my main objective is to build boards and build uh, the best boards that the world has seen. <laughs> All right, well, Pierre, uh, Pierre, can you pronounce your last name for me? Udan. Pierre Udan, Pierre Udan, that's O-U-D-D-A-N-E. Is it two D's? Two D's, yeah. Yeah, O-U-D-D-A-N-E, Pierre Udan, uh, going to be building the best surfboards the world has ever seen. We heard it here first on the Agents of Innovation podcast yeah, in buddy. Guatemala City. Um, and Pierre, right. uh, the other thing I want to let everybody know here, 
the way I got to know you was I'm actually renting a room in your house. Yeah. <laughs> which is right down the street from UFM, which has been great. It's been great getting to know you and hanging out with you and learning you and seeing much. the surf, seeing the surfboards there sometimes and, and like scratching my head and wondering what's going on because uh, there's no water. Uh, you got to hit the waves sometime. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I still need to go down uh, as of this interview. So maybe by the time people watch it or listen to it, maybe I'll have made my way to El Salvador. Yeah. But tell us, you told me that El Salvador has like the best waves in Central America. I don't know what you said, but tell me what you think well, about El Salvador. Well, uh, El Salvador has excellent right hand waves. Uh, Is that for people that are right hand? No, no, no. So <laughs> either you're a regular and you have your left foot in front and your right foot uh, okay. in the back of the board, or either you're a goofy. I'm a goofy. It's uh, the, the opposite. So when you surf, it's easier or it's a better experience if you're seeing the wave. So for a goofy, for example, a right wave, you have the wave on your back. Okay. So it's not as, uh, it, it's different, you know, it's uh, like two sides of the coin. And uh, the most of the people are regulars, you know. I mean, it all depends on what's your strong foot. I mean, stand up. We'll see what's yours. Let's see here. Okay, so if I push you, your strong foot is the right one. That's as me. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's an, uh, an easy way to tell, but actually, well, as in surfing and skating, oh, be careful. Yeah, my water over here. There you go. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, if, uh, well, whatever makes you feel comfortable, man. So the thing is that El Salvador has uh, these uh, So I would be, I would be with, with you said, if my, if my right foot is you'd, the strong foot, right, you'd be a El Salvador is the place for me no no it's not it's the no, opposite no, no, no. well it's the place for you if you want to serve because excellent waves are excellent waves oh, okay. I mean, even if you're a goofy or regular okay. you have rights or lefts but it's those, the best for the ones that are the opposite of me though yeah exactly a regular okay. so maybe you're a regular man it, yeah, doesn't, we don't know. it doesn't mean even if your right foot is stronger you can get yourself used to uh, put in your left foot. It, it's all about practice. Yeah. And uh, yeah, El Salvador has these uh, points uh, because there is this rock formation near the ocean, near the littoral. So the thing is, um, these rocks make the waves go faster and form more regularly. So you call that a point break. And the point breaks are excellent in El Salvador. With some of the best wa waves in the world. Actually, El Salvador just hosted uh, an international uh, surf event for mm. the Olympics. Wow. Yeah, so they did the qualifications for the Olympics, and it was a huge, a huge thing. El Salvador got to know its waves more. Uh, I've had a lot of people uh, compare them to Bali. Uh, which wow. is some wh one of the best uh, places in the world to surf well, as well. For, the, for those listening, but especially it's too crowded, especially a lot. Bali's too crowded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for those who are listening, especially in the United States, especially in Florida, where lots more of my audience of listeners are, uh, I'll tell you what: Central America is not too far. It's not too expensive. It's very quick to get down here, and it's not as populated. As yeah. Bali, come on down and do yeah, some surfing. No, forget yeah. about Bali, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would love, I'd love to go to Hawaii. I mean, that's where it all started. Have you been there? No, I've never yeah. been to Hawaii. I've well, neither have I. I've been to 47 states in the U.S., and that is Best one of the three the that I've never been to. So, But we'll have to practice on the little dinky waves in Florida and, uh, yeah. and then get to El Salvador and then go to Hawaii. But anyway, um, P. 
Pierre, this has been uh, really great. Um, I think, like, I was going to ask you a lot of questions, but you actually answered a lot of questions. Uh, and, and maybe I have asked you a lot of questions. But anyway, uh, any, any last uh, words of wisdom for the Agents of Innovation audience? Well, yeah, never uh, stop believing in yourself, know your worth, and uh, always see the good things and see the bad things in yourself as something to improve, as something to change, because change isn't always bad. Change can be very good and never surrender on your passion and on your dream, because one day you'll be old. And if that day, when you're old and you have to carry out the sack of bones, you'd better be doing something that passionates you because that's, that's what life is about, passion. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, thanks uh, so much uh, for uh, being a great housemate uh, <laughs> here in Guatemala, but also for welcoming me to Piedras Surf Repair. You're, you're welcome, man. Let's yes. hit the waves and thank you for the interview. <laughs> sounds good. Thanks for, thanks for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thank you, man. Thank you.